Thank you, Mensa. I hope that, like me, some of you felt very emotional um, listening to that Zambia update because we're going to get more emotional now. So I'm glad that you're in the groove of things as we get our tears warmed up for tonight um, because we've been in this emotion series called Look Up and it's been really great. And just to recap a couple of things that I think are important for us to remember because Vaughn laid this foundation a few weeks ago. When we're looking at emotions, there's a couple of unhealthy worldviews that we need to avoid. On the one hand, we've got the stoic worldview, the suck it up buttercup, cowboys don't cry, don't show emotion, that you don't, don't give credit to your emotion, just shove it away. That's unhelpful. But on the other hand, what's even more popular today is an emotionalism that says the highest value in life is just for us to discover our feelings and there's a value in and of itself to express our feelings and whatever we feel, we've got to do that because we've got to bow down to our feelings. And that emotionalism and that stoicism, neither of those are biblical. And what we've seen in the Psalms over the last few weeks is we have to not deny or shove our emotions or just dump them, we actually have to bring our emotions to God. And as we bring our emotions to Him, He helps us with a holy regulation of those emotions. And hopefully you've been seeing some of that for the last four weeks and we're coming to the last one tonight in sadness, grief, and tears. Some of you are like, oh, good, nice. And so a fact or two about tears is that in our lifetime, on average, we're going to shed about 64 liters of tears, although some of us are not going to be held to 64 liters. Some of us have our eyes set on higher uh, than that, and one of those people is Taryn Hodgson in the front. Uh, if you don't know Simon's wife is a crier, you haven't had enough conversation, you haven't had one conversation with her, uh, because when we were still at the buzz before we even moved onto this property, they did something that brought emotions up in Taryn's heart, and that was that they opened up a pick and pay uh, in, that, in that center. And on the day that they opened it, um, the, when the tape was cut, Taryn was undone with emotion. And she hugged the manager and she hugged the staff and it was just too much for her as the tears rolled down her eyes. Um, and another one, when we shared an office together there at the Buzz, um, you know, YouTube ads, you just got to skip them after five seconds or else they have to be the best ad in the world. Um, so we're usually hovering, waiting to skip the ad. Well, Taryn watched something on YouTube and she watched the ad through, which I thought this must be an absolute banger. I want to know what this is. And then I saw she was actually crying. So I thought it might be a very emotional ad, Alan Gray or something like that. Turns out it was a Sal C ad. Um, <laughs> So if Sal C ads can bring you to tears, and if going to watch a store open can bring you to tears, if anyone knows of any stores that are opening, invite Taryn. Bring some tissues. It'll be a good time. Uh, but Taryn's aiming for the, the life soaked in tears, and what we see in the Bible is the Bible's a book soaked in tears. We see it from cover to cover. We see uh, that Joseph wept so loudly that the whole house of Pharaoh heard it. We have Jesus weeping over Lazarus, uh, over Jerusalem, over the people. We have 
prophets that weep. We even had to include a weeping prophet called Jeremiah. We had priests that weep. We had kings that weep. We had apostles that wept. They wept for various things. I thought I would write some of those arbitrary things down that they wept about. They cried in remorse, grief, longing, pain, repentance, joy. They cried in war, reunion, birth, marriage, and death. They cried when they saw the work of the Lord happening. And they also cried when they didn't see the work of the Lord happening. They cried when they didn't understand what God was doing. But when they understood, they also cried. What we see in the Bible is a book that's soaked in tears. And in the Hebrew world, that's the Old Testament guys, we actually see that tears is seen as a worthy, raw worship unto God. That's why the shofar, the the traditional Hebrew instrument, the horn that they blow, mimics the sound of weeping as a summons for people to come and worship. When the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem, they, they replaced the sacrificial system of animals with a worship of tears. And that's why you can still go to the wailing wall to this day because it's said that God meets people in their tears and it's a holy worship unto him. And so why this sermon matters today is that all of us are going to cry, right? Even this most steely of men, we are going to cry. But biblically speaking, there's a way that we spill our tears that is a complete waste and futile, results in nothing godly. And there's also a way that we can sow our tears and reap a harvest of joy. And if that's the conundrum, that's why tonight's preach is called, don't waste your tears. Don't waste your tears. And so we're going to look at Psalm 126. You can read behind me or on your devices. It's a lament. It's a psalm of tears. It says this, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord's done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. But then this turn in verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaths with him. Now, in the Psalms, there's many genres, and one of these genres is a lament, a psalter of tears, a psalm, a prayer, and a song in grief and sorrow. And out of all the genres, this is the dominant genre in the Psalms. So we've got more ammo to help us process our tears than any other emotion in the Bible. And as we do unpack this passage, I'm going to look at it under these headings. Number one, expect tears. Number two, sow your tears. Number three, pray your tears. So expect them, sow them, pray through them. So as you look at the kind of flow of the drama of this passage, it starts out really happy. We see there in verse one, the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. When he did that, we were like those who dream. And they said among the nations, the Lord's done great things for them. So they're like our lives, they were like living the dream. And it was like better than any, anyone could ask, think, or imagine. We were like those who dream. And it, we don't actually know what the scenario is that the psalm is speaking to, the historical 
grounding of it because scholars are on debates on this and not really sure. But for our purposes, it doesn't really matter. The point is that there was something so cool, so immense, so great that even the nations were like, man, those guys are blessed. Look what God has done for Israel. But then in verse 4, a tragic turn, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now the Negev, that's a, a lifeless, a barren desert in the Middle East. And what they were going through therefore was some kind of barren desert experience. Their life was better than a dream. Now it's like a desert with no stream. Man, that actually rhymed. Uh, but that will actually be our experience at one point or another in our life. And that's why heading number one is expect tears. You're like, wow, happy Sunday point right there. I'm so glad James is preaching. He always brings a happy message to our ears. Uh, heading number one is that we must expect tears. I think there's a little Christian myth that goes around and we sometimes believe it. It goes something like, well, if I love God, if I walk with him, nothing truly terrible is ever going to happen to me. And if something goes wrong, sometimes we searching around, maybe I didn't pray enough, maybe I didn't go to church enough, maybe I didn't read my Bible enough, or else why is something so terrible happening in my life? Well, I'm here to say that if something tragic happens, it's not necessarily because you've done anything wrong. More than likely, most of the suffering that we go through in this life is just because we live on this planet, which is a broken world, marred by sin, where it says in Ecclesiastes that rain falls on the just and rain falls on the unjust. Whether we love God, hate God, we're part of this world and we will face suffering. Even severe tragedy can befall us. But I'm here to say even more somber than that point is that even though we can go through tragedy and suffering, if you follow Jesus, you are likely to cry more tears than those who don't follow Jesus. So it's just getting happier as the sermon goes on. And for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I would argue that it's because God gives to his people a heart of flesh in place of their heart of stone. It's a biblical metaphor for conversion. It's in 2 Corinthians 4 and in Ezekiel. God's promised this in Ezekiel. He said, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, that, there's a lot to unpack in there, but for the purposes of this, it implies at the very least that God takes a hardened heart towards him and gives us a heart that actually cares for him, for the things of God, for the people in this world, for his people. And so when we become a Christ follower, we become more vulnerable we get more of a heart, we're more touchable than we were before because God has removed our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. When I was at my wedding, I remember hearing my best man in his speech say, I've never seen James cry before and now I've seen him cry for hours. And the thing is that he knew me mostly before I knew Jesus. And before I knew Jesus, I never cried. Okay, I cried like maybe a handful of times that I can recall that I was really in sorrow and cried. Obviously, when I was a baby, now that I have Caleb, I probably cried incessantly. But as an adult, I really held back the tears. That wasn't my thing. But I found myself completely at the mercy of my tears 
when I came to know Jesus. And I went from a guy who cannot hold, who cannot cry to a guy who cannot but be touched by Jesus. And I now find myself not quite on the Terran level, but 50% Terran, right? I'm the guy version of Terran, right? And so I find myself in this position and I know the harsh James is still within me. The old man's there and like the harshness can come out. But God has also given me a new heart, a sensitive heart. And God wants me to lean into that. And I don't know where you're at at the moment with your state of your heart and how hard you find yourself in your heart. But I have this warning from Glenn who used to pastor this church. He's now in the States. One day he was coming up here to close worship and he was teary. And the next day when we chatted about it, he said that God touched his heart in worship and he was holding back the tears, not for an evil reason. He just wanted to be articulate because when you're crying, it's hard to talk. Um, but God said to him, Glenn, if you dry your eyes, I will dry your heart. And for me, when Glenn told me that story, it felt like a warning, not just for a Glenn, but for every one of us, women included, but especially men, who feel we're going to dry our eyes so that we can be composed. But if we dry our tears, God might just dry our hearts. If he's put a sensitive heart in us that wells up with gratitude and tears when we sing about King Jesus and we fight them back, we are actively reversing the softness of heart that God has worked into our spirit with his regeneration. And so with us being here in church, like when we're worshiping and you're eyes well up with tears because of what Jesus has done. Let the tears roll. When grief comes up in your spirit while you're worshiping, let the tears roll. But just to foster the softness of heart and the tenderness and the responsiveness to the Holy Spirit, let the tears roll. But for some of you today, as you're sitting there, I'm sure that for some men, you believe the lie that it's not masculine to cry, that that's not manly, that's a woman thing. Well, Jesus defines what is masculine. He's the most manly man that ever lived, and he cried openly and loudly for all to hear. And so I want you to know that it's not unmanly for someone, for a man to cry, but the most masculine thing imaginable is a man who cries in gratitude for the cross and what Jesus has done and weeps at the injustice and the evil in the world, and they are touchable by God himself. We're not going to be led by God. We're just going to be boys. But if we're going to be touched by God, we're going to be men. And so men are men that cry tears and they're related to God himself. Now, I don't know if you're in a place of hardness of heart this evening, and I know that we can fall into that. The Bible has so much warning for us about the hardness of heart. And Hebrews, one of the verses says, if today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. There's an urgency about right now, this second, when God touches you, do not harden your hearts. And I want to say to all of us that are there in an apathetic kind of a whatever kind of a state of heart, that we need to actually work at finding that song, that hymn, that verse that touches our heart and pray it and sing it and meditate on it and work it into our system until the damn walls break again so that we can be soft again towards God. Don't just wait for him to do something. You do something. You reach out 
and you say to God, Lord, and pray to him, Lord Jesus, wreck my heart again. I've become like a stone, but today, Lord, I want you to unblock my wells. I want you to make me beat again for the things of you. And I believe Jesus will do that for even some of you in this room today and work on your hardness of heart. Now, I went a bit off track, but the point is this, that if you're a follower of Jesus, expect more tears rather than less for a very good reason, that God has taken a heart of stone and he's put a heart of flesh within you. But another more sobering reality is that one of the reasons why we're going to face more tears, we just have to look to Jesus because if people believe the myth that says, hey, if I walk with God, nothing bad's ever going to happen to me and I'm not going to cry any tears. Jesus' resume uh, is that he walked with God, but he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And how can we believe, you know, if I walk with God, nothing bad is ever going to happen. When we consider Jesus, that guy walked with God and we can't exactly say nothing bad ever happened to Jesus. And so we've got to throw that myth out of the window and understand that if anything, following Jesus puts us in the firing line in our higher standards of holiness and our witness to the world to actually be more despised, possibly face more tears because we're not exempt from the tragedies of this world, but we may on top of that receive a fiery trial to refine our character and be despised by people. Expect a lot more tears if you follow Jesus than if you didn't. I hope you feel thoroughly depressed by this first heading because if people say, do you want the good news or the bad news? I always say bad news first because I want to end on the good news. So we've got heading one, expect tears, and it only gets better from there. But when we do cry as a Christ follower, we've got a way that we can cry out tears that results in joy that those outside of Jesus actually do not have. And that brings us to heading number two, that we mustn't just expect tears, we must sow our tears. I don't know if you saw this metaphor in verse five and six. It said, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, i.e. bearing that seed for sowing in so doing, shall come home with shouts of joy. Right, so remember, Lester was helping us with sheep, the sheep law. We like super educated on that. I don't have anything that profound except to say that with farmers, they sow the seed deliberately in the ground. They water it. They carry on with their plus work. I don't know what it all entails. Uh, some of you in this room might know. And then after a while, it's time for the harvest. They come in with, sh- with shouts of joy. They collect the harvest. Whoop-de-doo, Tant Annie's happy. All's good in the hood. Well, not the hood. Uh, on the property, on the plus. And, but with this, it's actually saying that our tears are going to be the produce that is sown into the ground that will reap a harvest of joy at the right time. Now, this is a profound thing to consider because as we come back to those worldviews, stoicism, right? God says your, the, the resource you've been given to produce joy is these tears, Stoicism has bags full of tears and says, no, I'm not going to express them because that's not what we do with emotions. So they've got a squandered tear full over there. And then we've got emotionalism, which just is like, express your emotions. It's an ending of itself. It's just dumping your seed 
on the ground no matter where it might fall. That doesn't result in a harvest either. But the biblical view is we must sow our tears deliberately into the fertile ground of God so that we can receive a harvest of joy at the end. And so it's a precious commodity, our tears, not to be squandered, not to be spilt on the ground, not to be shoved by the wayside, but to be planted or sown or invested intentionally with God so that we can receive a harvest of joy. And what good news is that if all people will shed tears, that we actually have a way that our tears can be converted into shouts of joy. It's not that tears will give way to joy. That's true as well, but on a much lower level of truth. This is a more profound radical teaching that our tears will produce the end result of joy, just like that motorbike. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It doesn't say our light momentary afflictions will give way. It says that the light momentary troubles are the vehicle through which God is going to produce this glorification. It's the troubles that are glorifying, that are working on us, that are producing something new. And likewise, in Psalm 126, it's our tears that God is going to use to transform both the sower and the seed of the tears itself to become shouts of joy at the end. And so don't waste your tears. They're precious to God. And so my question is, do you know how to do that? Do you know how to sow your tears in such a manner that God will produce joy at the end? Some of you are like, please, tell us. Well, I'm glad you asked because I believe the answer is number three, that we need to pray our tears to God. These laments, they are prayers that are lifted up in the midst of sorrow and grief to the Lord. And in these that God will transform as we pray our sorrows and our grief, as we pray our tears through to God in a lament of our own, God is going to be able to bring a harvest of joy out of that. But not just automatically, but as we intentionally sow our tears to Him. And so there's three things I want us to consider as we pray our tears. And that is, we must consider the journey of our tears. We must consider the place we go to in our mind as we are crying, we must consider the cross in, in conjunction with the things that we are grieving. But we must also look to the purpose behind that so that we can see at the end some praise and thanksgiving coming out of it. And even as we cry, we cry not as ones without hope, but with hope because we know there is a final destination where there's no tears in the new heaven and new earth. And so I want to talk a little bit about how we grieve and how we bring our tears in prayer to God. Firstly, that we have to bring it to Him. That's kind of the most obvious thing, right? That Jesus is the only one who really gets your pain. I know it might seem like you're looking for someone else that's gone through what you've gone through in this life, but even they don't understand the nuance of your situation, the desires of your heart, your past and all the worries that you're going through, the only one who really, really, really understands what you're going through is the one who has counted the hairs on your head. Not many in my case, but he has the number in heaven. The one who knows when you sit down, when you get up, that has memorized you, that loves you, that interprets the groanings of your heart, that knows you inside and out. And the reason he can actually 
feel your sorrows is because he went through it all already on your behalf because we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weakness but he was tried and tempted in every respect and on the cross he experienced the darkest night of the soul of any person in the history of the world if we combine the sorrows of every person that ever lived and we multiplied it together and we put it up against Jesus it would still not amount to the sorrow that Jesus felt when he was forsaken by his father eternally on the cross and paid for every curse every sin every wrongdoing and he was guilty of none of it Jesus knows the sorrow that you have gone through. He's been betrayed. He's been forsaken. The worst of the worst, Jesus went through it all in spades. And so when you want to talk to someone who firstly can understand what you're going through and secondly actually cares and loves for you to the bottom, there's no one but Jesus in the picture. It's Jesus and no one else. And so you might be seeing a therapist carry on going if they're helping you, but number one is Jesus. He's the one that's going to be able to transform what you're going through. And as we pray our tears, we must intentionally come to Jesus and we must pray to him. And as we pray to him, we consider firstly the cross. That's going to be the place where we're going to receive what we need. When Jesus cried out from the loud voice in the ninth hour from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see an exchange happening where the father turned his face away from the son. It was a tragic thing that happened. But the outcome for us is so sweet that when we come to God in our prayer, and in our hour of need, we will never be turned away from the Father because Jesus was already turned away from the Father. And it, when we pray our tears at the cross, we realize, hang on a minute. I might feel like I'm being punished here, but actually Jesus was already punished for me. It might feel like God has left me, but that must just be apparent abandonment because Jesus was really abandoned on my behalf, so as we come to the cross and we start to grieve our tears in full view of the cross, it takes some of the false beliefs out of those tears and some of the toxins get extracted and the self-pity as we consider. But this guy who, before I was born, he loved me and he went to the cross and he suffered and he died. Some of the self-pity gets drained from us in our tears. That isn't now automatically mean that all sorrow and all grief disappears. But what it does mean is when we go to the cross and we sow our tears there with Jesus, we receive an undeniable, eternal, holy joy that can hold us in the midst of all of our grief and suffering. And joy is not like a normal emotion, like being excited or being glad, and we just change the next hour. But joy is a fruit of the Spirit, which means that it's a product of our faith in Jesus, being attached to Him as the vine. And as we come to the cross and we pray our tears out to Him, we will be sowing into Him, and we will be knitted together with Him, and He can impart us with joy, which is an unshakable, immovable, holy, glorious, supernatural sense of strength, and sturdiness, and resilience, and joy, and faith, and hope that we can hold in spite of our suffering. 
doesn't wipe suffering from the plate, but what it allows us to do is to feel the joy of the Lord even while we have sorrows mingled in. And some of us haven't even grieved properly or cried properly through our sadness because we're not even joyful enough to take it. The paradox is we have to be joyful enough in the Lord to be able to even face those things. And I've called this heading journey because it ain't a one-stop shop. And then we cry our tears once. We look at the cross and we say, at the cross, I surrender my life. Thank you, Jesus. I'm happy now. But rather, it's a journey of continuously circling back in our tears and our grief and coming to the cross and allowing God to impart the goods of eternal joy into our hearts so we can shed layers of grief and sadness before him. And in so doing, we are stacking up ability to have a harvest of joy in our hearts. And so the step one is always, we must consider the, des- we must consider the journey of the cross That's where we shed our tears. That's what we consider. But we consider as well the outcome. The purpose of these prayers is that they will result in praise. They will. Psalm 126 says this. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, here's the active word, shall come home with shouts of joy. It doesn't say there's a slight chance that you'll come back with shouts of joy. 70% chance that you'll come back with shouts of joy. It says shall. It's a definite. And the truth here is great. And I love the fact that the Psalms are positioned this way, that the last four Psalms are just Psalms of praise. Praise, praise, praise. No more laments, no more doubting. It's just praise. And Derek Kidner, when he, uh, he's a Bible scholar, when he notes this, he says, the Psalms are teaching us that all true prayer pursued far enough will become praise. Any prayer, no matter how desperate its origin, no matter how angry the emotion that brought it about, it ends up in praise. And this is a good truth for us to know that prayer, I know it's not going to take a quick trip to praise. I know that for some of us, for the grief and the sorrow that we will go through, that it might take years, it might take decades, it might take even a lifetime But the truth is that the prayer will become a hallelujah. All true prayer becomes a hallelujah. And we do understand that in this life there will be sorrows. But we also understand that when we sow those tears that we have to bear in mind our hope. The destination. The new heavens and the new earth. So the good news is finally here friends. That we will weep in this life. But take heart that our days of weeping and tears and sorrow and mourning are numbered because one day Jesus will come and Revelation 21 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. And listen to this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. There won't be mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. There's not a single religion that claims their spiritual leader will actually redeem and restore the brokenness of this world. We watched that video. There were three out of five kids there in the Mongu region were dying under the age of five because they didn't have 
access to clean water. There are people that are experiencing immense hardships in this world. This life is a life of tears. It's a world of tears. This world is broken, and there's not one spiritual religious leader out there or sacred text that claims God is going to restore anything about the brokenness of this world, only compensate for it in some kind of paradise, but not our Jesus. Our Jesus claims that he will restore everything that was broken, that not one tear was in vain and not one sorrow shall be passed over like some story of yesteryear, but he's gonna work into his glorious new creation. Every sorrow will be turned into joy. I love what Thomas Adams says. This guy in the 1700s, he wrote about death. Obviously in Christ, we don't have a death. We move from death to an even more glorious life. He said, we spend our years with sighing. It's a valley of tears, but death is the funeral of all of our sorrows. We actually have a hope when in our tears. We actually have something to look forward to. I love um, the Lord of the Rings, as you guys probably know by now. Uh, but just again, on the return of Christ depicted in Lord of the Rings, when Gandalf comes back radiant in white, no longer Gandalf the Grey, Samwise Gamgee says, I thought you were dead. I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to become untrue? What happened to the world? And a great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. How many of you remember the verse that we were talking about from the psalm? Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. One day there will be a note of laughter and joy that is gonna be like water in a parched land. There will be streams in the Negev because Jesus is coming back and when he returns, he will not only he will not only do something joyful that'll make us forget what happened, but he will incorporate every sorrow that we experienced into the fullness of joy. You know, I like Lord of the Rings, also C.S. Lewis, so there has to be a quote from him as well. In his series, Chronicles of Narnia, his depiction of the return of Christ, Aslan the lion, it says this, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring Again, there will be streams in the Negev desert. Right now, it seems like some of our tears are falling in a barren desert place. But take heart, this is not the truth. There will be spring. The lion of the tribe of Judah is roaring and coming again. And he is coming with him, the ability to bring all sorrows into joy. For it says in Psalm 56, you, that God keeps track of all your sorrows, that he has collected all your tears in a bottle. And what is God gonna do with all your sorrows one day? He is gonna incorporate every sorrow, every tear, everything that was broken and lost, and he's gonna turn it into joy, into streams of gladness, because that's the Jesus that we serve. And that somehow the eternity to come will be all the sweeter for the fact that this life we experienced, brokenness and lostness, and that water of the garden of God is going to be watered by our tears that God has collected and God is gonna restore. He's gonna make streams of gladness out of our tears of sorrow. So in conclusion, 
Our tears are precious. Don't waste your tears. Invest them for a harvest of joy. Will you stand with me? I know some of you are going through some real, real stuff tonight. And I'm not sure what everyone's going through. I couldn't possibly. God does. But I know that the reason why you're going through it isn't because God doesn't love you. Because he died for you. I know it isn't because Jesus abandoned you. Because Jesus was abandoned for you. And Jesus died for you. I hope you log that. That he loves you. That he died for you. No other religious leader claims anything similar but Christ alone. No other God has suffered for you but Christ alone. No other God is close to the brokenhearted but Christ alone. No other God claims to have wept for you but Christ alone. There's no other God who makes strong the weak but Christ alone. There's no other God that will hold you in the midst of the storm but Christ alone. There's no other God that will collect every one of your tears in a bottle but Christ alone. There's no other God that will personally wipe away the tears from your eyes but Christ alone. And so therefore as we come to a state of worship tonight, understand that your tears and your sorrows and your grief and your worship and your adoration and all of your life and your heart can be only entrusted to one person and that is Christ alone. That's why we will sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Christ alone, the cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. And through the storm, He is Lord, the Lord of all. Let's sing, let's respond to Him. If you've got tears that are rolling down your cheeks, bring them as seed to God tonight. Bring them in a harvest. Bring them for jo with joy, knowing that Jesus has done it all and there's no one like Jesus. So we're gonna sing and then we're gonna share communion. Let's do that.